Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If you're constantly on the hunt for a good deal, then you need Rakuten. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop because members get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, traveling, dining, and more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores. Why not save while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Get the Rakuten app now and join the 17 million members who are already saving. Cashback rates change daily. See Rakuten.com for details. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Your cash back really adds up. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Las Vegas, coming to you from the Wynn and the Encore. My next guest I've wanted to meet for a long time. She's not a Las Vegas native, but she might as well be at this point. She's the president of Wynn Las Vegas, Marilyn Spiegel. Welcome. You know, to give everybody a sense of place, uh, we're sitting in a meeting room here at the Encore to do this show. But right about where I'm sitting right now used to be where my room was at the Desert Inn. That's right. I mean, this is a community that continues to reinvent itself. And what amazes me, Marilyn, is that no matter what figures I get from the Las Vegas Convention of Visitors Bureau, no matter what numbers I look at in terms of annual city statistics, I'm never, ever not surprised by the idea that no matter how many rooms you add, you continue to fill them. I mean, convention space, golf courses, and then you're also reinventing the city. I mean, when I first came here, the metric was... Spend no time in your room, get them out of the room, get them on the casino floor, get them gambling, 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 and by the way, more gambling, and that was your source of revenue. That metric has changed. It's totally changed. As a matter of fact, when I started the business in 88, it was 20% non-gaming revenues and 80% gaming revenues. So today, at least here, it's two-thirds non-gaming and one-third gaming. I mean, if you walk through the main floor and the second floor of this hotel or the win. You're going from one celebrity chef to another. You're going from one food venue to another, from one entertainment venue to another. Oh, and there are some casino tables on the floor as well. There are, and we hope that people visit everything. As an integrated resort, we have truly something for everyone. And this is, I mean, when you take a look 
at the history of just this organization. I go back to the Golden Nugget when Steve Wynn got Sinatra to play there, which which not only made the Golden Nugget, it made Steve Wynn. I mean, that partnership. And then I was with him when he imploded, he blew up the dunes. I was there that night. Uh, NBC actually did a television special on it. By the way, the worst television special ever invented. It was the most embarrassing show ever done. But they did it. I was standing out there with Siegfried and Roy, and they pushed the plunger, and the dunes came down. That's the Bellagio now. Yes. Right? Where we are used to be the Desert Inn. The front here is gone. I mean, there's so much, there's just so much new building even today. There is. There's a, a lot of building, and especially on the north end of the strip. So um, uh, next year, Resort World is going to open up across the street. And then we also have the Drew that's going to be coming um, on our side of the street on the, the north Drew, end. The Drew, to give an indication, was a hotel that was built and never opened. It was supposedly the Fountain Blue. At one point, Kirk Corian owned it. Then it got sold and it sat vacant. It's still vacant. It is. and But it's now coming back as, let's all say it, the Drew. <laughs> and then more importantly, across the street next to Resort World, we have 38 acres of uh, vacant land that is owned by Wynn Resorts. So one day there can be an additional Wynn property on the other side of the street. And you've got a golf course. We are so excited about our golf course. That'll be opening up mid-October, and um, it is an 18-hole Tom Fazio-designed um, golf course that has been really reimagined, and it is um, not too many courses end with a 35-by-100-foot waterfall on the 18th green. And, of course, that water is recirculated because water is so precious here. It is. We have ground uh, rights for that water, yes. Of course. I mean, and by the way, mid-October is next week, by the way. Yeah. When you take a look at everything else that's happening here, when you talk about entertainment, you now have an NHL team, which, by the way, two seasons ago almost went to the Stanley Cups in their first season. That was pretty exciting. Was, I mean, that really, it, people said for years, Las Vegas could never sustain a professional sports team, right? So you have the Golden Knights at the NHL. And, and, and by the way, the most expensive ticket in hockey, and they fill the stadium, right? It is a exciting game, and we are so happy to have them here. And then I'm watching the construction. You got the stadium now for the Raiders. The stadium is unbelievable. It's right next to the freeway as you're coming in from the airport, and it looks enormous, doesn't it? Yeah. And the Raiders, I mean, to have Mark Davis here is so wonderful. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to getting through this season. So then they're going to be in Las Vegas uh, next year. So the only thing you're missing is an NBA. I know you have a WNBA team, but now you need an NBA team. We do. Any ideas? <laughs> Yeah, you can have the Knicks. You know, the, the Knicks are so pathetic. I'm sorry. I mean, they're, we, we laugh. I, I'm in New York. We laugh at them. I mean, everything they do falls apart. Yeah. So maybe they could get lucky and come here. Well, you never know. We're, we take all comers here. You know, it's Las Vegas. In all of your years here, which, by the way, is 31 years, what's the biggest surprise for you? You know, um, I love the way the city has evolved, where um, there's this resurgence of whenever um, business changes, there's great new ideas that um, continue to pop up. So, you know, during the recession, when gaming revenue was no place to be found, um, the nightclubs came up. And, um, and by the way, uh, my old friend who still works for you guys, he's in Boston, Brian Goldbrandt. Yes, uh, who I go back to his days at the Ritz-Carlton, he took me on a tour of your nightclubs one night. <laughs> and I you're was, still alive. <laughs> I was in shock. And the reason why I was in shock might surprise you. He said to me, I'm going to tell you an, a statistic you're not going to believe, but it's true, that your nightclub is the largest single consumer of Grey Goose vodka in the world. And probably Cristal, too. Well, yeah, but I was just <laughs> hung up on the vodka part. 
I said, how much are we talking about? He says, it comes in on freight cars, in pallets. And we're not talking the little bottles. We're talking the humongous, you know, huge bottles. It's unbelievable. I mean, I wish you could explain this to me. I walk out at the pool scene, not just at this hotel, but every hotel in Las Vegas. The cabanas are full. They're not inexpensive to rent for the day. The bottle service and the, at the clubs is out of control, right? The minimum drop is, is un, I, I can't fathom it. And the average age is like under 35. And I'm saying, okay, most of my ideas about millennials is that they're sitting at home with a Budweiser hoping that a Heineken shows up. This is either daddy's money or I didn't get the memo. Where is this money coming from? You know, the millennials are are great consumers and they like coming here. You know, when I think about coming here to Las Vegas, specifically to win an encore, I think about three reasons to come. And we attract the millennials for all three. And um, the first one is for convention. You know, we're adding, we're doubling our convention space. And so we do especially well with finance, fintech, uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, those kind of high-end um, conventions. So people come to meet. Secondly, people come to relax, and millennials love to relax. And so if you think about spa and retail and golf course. and But it's not just retail, is it? It's experience. Oh, oh, totally, totally. And then people come for excitement, and the millennials love to come for excitement. So bachelorette parties, bachelor parties, anytime you need to celebrate a birthday, something significant. Um, the Las Vegas Visitor and Convention Bureau has done a great job at, at making sure the place in the consumer's mind is Las Vegas is a place to celebrate. It's a place to come and party. Hey, I'm, I'm still recovering from hangover one and hangover two. <laughs> yes. Right? I mean, when you think about it. Yes. But I mean, and those numbers keep growing. They do. They do. Have you ever figured out, like Brian was sh- sharing with me, like, you know, the largest consumer of vodka, right? What the average spend is? Well, I mean, you either, it, it's it's really a uh, dichotomy. You have people who will come in. Um, this past weekend, we had somebody who on their um, Friday and Saturday probably spent 200,000 into in the clubs. So in our day club and our excess nightclub. Um, so you'll have. And they're currently sleeping it off in what room? <laughs> yeah. There's another side of Las Vegas that has nothing to do with this hotel, that has nothing to do with the strip, that has nothing to do with neon. Uh, because at the end of the day, I'm a visitor. A majority of your population on any given night is visitors, it dwarfs the local population. But then there's the local population. So I have to ask you, where do you go to eat? Not in the hotel. Where do you go to play? Not in the hotel. My goodness. I'm in the hotel a lot, but I, um, I live in Summerlin. And so there are some local establishments that I love to go to. Um, there's a local Wolfgang puck up the street from us that we'll go to um, to eat. What but- about like a, like a local Chinese dive or a local Thai dive. Because I, I go to some of the strip malls here in Las Vegas. They're amazing. Oh, yeah. Sushi fever. All oh, you can eat sushi. You, you should check that out. Really? Yeah. See, now we're talking. <laughs> On now. Sahara. See? Absolutely. See? Yes. And by the way, you're going to have to wait in line. You, you, oh, always. exactly. But, it, but it's worth it. Just take a taxi out there. Get yourself a designated Do driver. not go for ambiance. Oh, no. Absolutely <laughs> not. No. This is not about ambiance. But it is all you can eat. <laughs> By the way, Marilyn weighs about two pounds. We hate her. <laughs> but I'm, okay, so there's one. What else? Oh my gosh! Um, there's a little place right around the corner called Honey Salt, which is a wonderful woman, Elizabeth Blau, and she was actually brought in by Steve Wynn when he opened Bellagio to help identify the restaurant chefs um, that we should have at that property. And she has a great little uh, place that's less than a half a mile from my house that is just fabulous. And she, her husband Kim used to be one of our chefs here, so that that's great. 
and my backyard barbecue. That's my favorite. And you're inviting all my listeners over. Of course. Turkey burgers for everyone. Turkey burgers? Oh, yeah. I'll pass. Oh, gosh. Sorry. Sorry. It's not going to happen. I'm a pescatarian. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Salmon for you. (laughs) I'll take it. But in terms of the local community, Mm -hmm. you have issues here. Uh, During the recession, of course, the real estate imploded. Right, you had a housing issue. Um, now you have a situation where the real estate's coming back, but you still have to house everybody. Right, it's the it's the cost of living. So many people, it's it's like Hawaii. So many people that I know who work in the hotels are are, are holding down two jobs. Is that still the case? It is the case, uh, which is um, it, it's a challenge for it's a challenge when you have employees who are service providers, and we will see that um, many of them are Uber, Lyft drivers. And so, if oh, and a- by the way, I, I'll give you a statistic that blew me away. Do you know how many registered Uber drivers there are in Las Vegas? I don't. Take a guess. Four thousand. Fifty-one thousand. Oh my gosh. Fifty-one thousand, because they are by definition part-timers. Right. It's crazy. And so that, um, when there's a big conference in town where they think that they're going to make some extra money, they'll call out here, which you know is a challenge for um, any uh, big business to try to manage their workflow. We have just acknowledged, certainly not celebrated, the second anniversary of the terrible shootings yes. at the Mandalay Bay. Uh, what lessons, as hotel operators, did you learn from that? <clears throat> well, we are vigilant every single day. Um, the win has taken uh, a very distinct approach in how we protect our property. And so, for example, we will have um, individuals stationed at every entrance, um, making sure that folks coming in don't have luggage that perhaps they're not supposed to be carrying, that they're not walking in in the midst of summer with these great big trench coats on. Um, we have probably more security on our floor than any competitor. So, um, you know, we have 12,000 plus employees, over 500 are in security. So I think that as you're appealing to the luxury traveler, which is clearly the wind's demographic, we want to be sure people feel that they're safe. We have security guards looking, um, asking you for the room key for every elevator, and it's 24 hours a day. We've never changed that. Um, Also your housekeeping staff. Absolutely. You're giving them an opportunity to be proactive. Well, so we have do not disturb, you're checked on to make sure that nobody's hold up in the room. If that sign is on for more than X number of hours, yes. you're going to check the room. Yes, absolutely. And and so... Did you hear that, honeymoon couples? Okay, Park. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Just, you know, it's once every 24 hours and yes. knock on the door. But, um, and also for our own employees, for their own safety. So, for example, every housekeeper or anyone who goes to a room, if a, a massage therapist goes to a room from our spa, they all have a panic button. So if they are concerned about anything, it's a silent panic button that they can push and a security officer will be immediately immediately deployed to come to the room for whatever reason. And by the way, last night I was going back to my room. Uh, housekeeping was in the room when I got there. I said, hi, it's me. And they said, no, you have to put your key on the We need to know it's you. Please activate your key. I, I was I was impressed by that. You know, um, I just couldn't talk my way into the room. Well, and that's really important. We every once in a while we have a customer who complains about that, and um, we have of that one complainer. We have ten people like you who say, "I appreciate the fact the casino and the hotel are so focused on guest safety." Exactly. Uh, you know, it's one of those, and 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 also when you have big events, New Year's Eve, for example, any any room that looks out on a public space, you're inspecting those rooms. Well, we inspect the rooms. We also do spot checks on the floor. I mean, we own that 38 acres across the street. And somebody said to me at one time, "Should we have a great big uh, outdoor concert?" And my point is, why would we do that? I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. 
There are so many words that are used, even with the best of intentions, that nobody really understands anymore. It goes back to the days of, you know, when hotels said they had a health club and all they did was knock out two walls and throw in an old Jane Fonda tape, uh, or ecotourism. And now, of course, the word that everybody uses is sustainability. And uh, so now I'm going to put my next guest on the hot seat and have him explain all that because he's the chief sustainability officer of Win. Eric Hansen, how are you? Good morning, Peter. I'm great. I mean, when we take a look at what's, you know, I mean, Las Vegas on one hand is the capital city of consumption. It's conspicuous consumption. Absolutely. Inside, outside. If we just dealt with water alone, I'm amazed the Hoover Dam has still water in it, right? Or Lake Mead. So how do you approach your job here considering the sheer numbers that you have to deal with? Well, you, you touched on what is sustainability earlier, uh, and, and, and that definition has it's, – it's morphed over the years. And, and one of the, the key things that we think about here is because Las Vegas is known to be – it's where you come, you indulge. Um, so, so we yeah, have – The word indulge and sustainable don't really – Typically. Yeah. Typically yeah. they don't. Um, we've actually taken a, a very, very focused approach on that. And so one of the things we can do is because we have a – 10 million square foot resort here. We're a mini city. So we can approach things on a scale. Uh, in terms of what you buy. and In terms into, of what we buy. In or terms what you of don't buy. What we don't buy, how we procure things, how we power the resort, how we enhance the guest's experience around sustainability, right? So the, the core of what sustainability is, is is not overusing the resources of today and depleting them for the generations of the future, right? That's, that's the whole concept behind it. That's the general term around it. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to balance the guest experience, right? Because we are a Forbes five-star resort. And when you come here, you want to have a five-star experience. We balance that with being responsible to communities, being responsible to the planet. And, and All right, but I'm going to go stop ahead. you on the go mission ahead. statement. Let's get yep. down to fine-tuning here. Okay. How do you do it? So we look at uh, one of the, the core things we've looked at recently has been energy. Right. That's as you've been on the strip. It's lit up. Uh, Las Vegas is lit up 24-7. We consume a large amount of energy here. We also are fortunate enough to be in the state that has some of the greatest resources when it comes to renewable energy. So for wind resorts, we started on a journey a few years ago to really take energy independence in our own hands. And one of the things we did was we made several actions through the Public Utilities Commission and working with the local utility to be able to go to the market and procure our own energy, and build our own resources. And so what did you build? So uh, uh, last year, uh, we brought on 160 acres of solar up in northern Nevada, which is 20 megawatts, and it's delivered directly down here. So to that's your grid? That, that's Yeah, that's ours. We pay, in, we pay the local utility, NV Energy, to ship it across their lines. We transport it down here, but we actually take the power and offset our usage here. So it's not just a, a renewable energy credit deal. We're actually taking the power and the credits. It's our, our energy that we're using. And during the summertime, that solar facility um, offsets about 75% of our peak power here in Wynn, Las Vegas. So That's huge. It's, it's enormous, especially when we're temperatures getting Listen, if you can't do solar in Nevada, something's wrong. Exactly, exactly. So th- it's it's not easy, though, right? It, we have to be very deliberate in our focus on what we want to do, and that was one of those things, the, the energy independence piece. We've also got rooftop solar here, and, and our new convention space, which is opening next year, is also has rooftop solar. So the energy portion of this is incredibly important. Now, with all due respect huge. to Donald Trump, no windmills? No, no windmills. Okay, no, okay. it's because uh, you know they cause cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've heard they kill birds, all kinds of things like that too. Um, no, solar. I mean, solar is such a great resource, and and we would be foolish not to take advantage of it here in Nevada. Okay, so that's one. But now let's get down to to, to, to the small stuff, right? Okay. Let's let's go micro here. You know. Straws, single-use so, plastic si- items. Single-use plastics is a, a huge issue, um, and and it, it came to light last year, and and we 
uh, one of the other ways that we're immediate in our actions and purposeful was we recognized an issue and we tackled it immediately. We um, got rid of all of the plastic straws, all the single-use plastic straws, to include the coffee stir sticks and everything else like that that, that comes in and replaced them with plant-based. So, and if, if you've been around the resort, you'll notice that our, if you do ask for a straw, um, they look like a plastic straw. They're clear. They look like a plastic straw, but they're actually made from corn. So it's a, it's an amazing product. And we, we estimated last, uh, when we initiated that program, we offset about 19 million single-use plastic straws in a year by switching over to the new straws. I mean, they that's decompose. landfill. Yeah. The, and the, the new straws, they decompose in 90 days. They turn back to plant dust and, and go into, uh, back to where they're supposed to be. And then you make chips out of them. And then we make chips out of them. Oh, I'm just double checking. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of waste, let's talk about food waste. Sure. Because how, when you look at how many different food outlets you have here just in this resort and how much food is left over, I, I, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom. It, it is. It's, once again, getting back to Vegas, you have to feed people when they're here, right? So that's just a fact of life. You have to make the food. Um, we do single stream recycling here on property, and we take all of our food waste, all the wet waste, actually gets collected separately and goes up to an agricultural farm, which is just north of Las Vegas here, gets turned into agricultural feed, goes out to the animals, and the circle of life starts again. Right and they make chips out of that. And they make chips out of that. Okay. <laughs> it all comes back to chips. <laughs> it all comes back to gambling. Uh, but what about the food that doesn't get recirculated that's just leftover stuff? So that, of course, food is banks? food banks, the local communities. Um, we've partnered with a lot of great groups here, whether it's Veterans uh, Veterans Village. Um, and that's that's the, the big issue that I think all of us up and down the strip are really trying to tackle is how do we do that? One of the things that we're looking at to reduce the amount of food waste um, from prepared food is looking at it on the front end. So there's there's some smart technologies that are out there that we've um, we've initiated at first over at our property in Macau, and what it does is analyzes how much food we're coming in. How much well, you come out it. of the world of procurement, so this is your baby. Th- this is yeah, this is uh, this is right up our alley. And so rather than having to deal with as much on the back end after it's been prepared, we're looking at let's come up with smart decisions so that we're not preparing as much and so that we're not wasting as much. So it has a financial impact because we're not having to procure as much. It has the impact on the environment because we're not wasting it and. It's all around better. And last but not least, we got to talk about the towel in my room. Um, you know, there's so many hotels that will put this little plastic. I always love that it's a plastic card <laughs> yeah. that says, you know, please help us save the environment by not washing your towel. And the cynic in me is saying, you just guys, you guys just want to save money. Plus, you made the card out of plastic. Out of plastic, yeah. So, what have you done in that respect? So we we look at uh, our whole supply chain and so how we properly i mean once again we're a five-star resort so if you want a clean towel every day you get a clean towel every day that's just the reality of it um and i think that that's one of those areas to where a lot of a lot of uh resorts and other chains have looked at that and and that's kind of been the the old thing to do if you want to recirculate your towel you want to reuse your towel that's fine and and we certainly will offer that as well but that's sort of the old school low hanging fruit. We're looking at the future on a lot of these things, and so in the in the same way that today, you know, 50 years ago when they were, we our country was pr- producing all these plastics and single use plastics, we had no idea the impact it was going to have on the environment today. So we're taking a much more purposeful approach and look to the future. You know, what is happening today that is going to help uh, that we can look at to impact the future. Eric Hansen, the Chief Sustainability Officer, right here at the Wind. Thank you so if much. You are continuing on to another Southwest destination. Please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. As we like to do, we always want to find out what's going on in, this, in a town that is constantly, and almost by definition, uh, reinventing itself. Um, every time they build more hotel rooms, they fill them. I still don't know how that happens. Every time somebody performs here, 
they fill those venues. Uh, and joining me now, who's the entertainment writer for the Las Vegas Sun, Brock Radke. Brock, tell me if, it, unless I'm completely delusional, there are currently more individual shows and more entertainers in Las Vegas than ever before. That is correct, without a doubt. I mean, but I'm saying seriously more. Yeah, yeah, and more big shows than there were before. When you think about the uh, the modern version of the what they're calling the Las Vegas residency now, right? Which isn't always a true residency. The, but it the sounds artist pretty isn't good. always here all the time. But right, but you've had Alton John, times. you've had Celine Dion, you've had Cher, uh, and you have some country western singer. I mean, you got a lot of people. Yeah, think about the newest the newest room where this is happening, which is Park Theater at Park MGM, formerly the Monte Carlo. Right. In the span of a few months, had Lady Gaga, Bruno Mars, Cher, Janet Jackson, and Aerosmith. That's one room. Those are the headliners in that one room. Wow. 5,000 seats. And filling them. Most of the time, yeah. Depends on the show. Okay. <laughs> Which one didn't they fill? Um, well, they, they did Lady have Gaga a residency. Lady Gaga had to fill it. Yeah, uh, yeah, she's selling it like nobody else. Uh, a few years ago, they had a residency from Ricky Martin in that room. That one didn't uh, get renewed. Uh, didn't really find its audience. Great show, though. I love that show. Yeah, okay. And what about recently? All of those ones that I just named are doing pretty well. Janet Jackson is is, is done already. Uh, it'd be great to have her come back. Yeah. But Aerosmith is doing really well. That's something that's kind of new, too, the rock band residency yeah. versus the, the Celine or well, the Well, Lionel Richie had a residency at, mm-hmm. uh, right? at uh, Planet, Planet Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I'm going to tell you about a show that I that I saw last year, and I had no idea what it was. They said to me, you got to go see the show, and they gave me tickets. And I literally went in blind. I had no idea what I was going to see. Um, I was, and let me just finish before you laugh, and you will laugh. Uh, it was vile. It was disgusting. It was offensive. And I couldn't stop laughing. And I took friends of mine back to see it again this year, and they found it vile, disgusting, offensive, and they couldn't stop laughing. When I went last year, a friend of mine, another journalist, who also went in blind, was laughing so hard, he bruised my arm. He was punching me so hard, laughing, and that was absinthe. Yeah. Crazy. I, I knew what you were talking about. Before I even before said Before you started to describe it. Yeah. Um, one of the, And they fill it up. They sell it. It's one of the great all-time success stories on the Strip, really. It's, I think it's seven years old now uh, in a big tent in front of Caesar's Palace. Um, this year, they've gone to... Uh, seven night a week schedule for absinthe and uh in the runoff of absinthe the company that produces that show spiegel Spiegel world World, has produced a new comedy show called opium at the cosmopolitan which is doing very well recently doubled its capacity and there's another show coming this fall to the venetian called atomic saloon show which is probably going to be similar to absinthe in that it's a, a variety show and it's very funny and wild but it has a, a Western theme. I mean, absinthe, if I had to describe it, other than saying it was violent, disgusting, and offensive, it was also like Cirque du Soleil on steroids. Yeah, which is funny the because... The acrobatics that they have in that show, and it's up close, it's in your face. It's mm-hmm. scary, mm-hmm. It, but they, they do it. Yeah, it's kind of a... It is a tent. You're in there. It's a, it's a theater in the round thing, but it's not... Uh, like a traditional theater, and it's very intimate. You're very close to the acts. They have the one act where it's the uh, the two skaters Going swinging around, circle. and oh, they're like, don't God. stand up or you're going to you know, get clipped, and it's real. Look, I failed <laughs> physics in high school, but I do understand centrifugal force, 
<laughs> and I do not understand how there have not been accidents on that show doing just that one trick. They got it down right. They got That's it down sure. right. Uh, now, Cirque du Soleil, speaking of more shows than ever, they've got O, they've got The Beatles Show, they've got Ka, which I, I got to say something about Ka. Uh, I try to go there every year, and I know the show. This is a theater they built just for that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many things that you can say, okay, you know, um, there's a star of this show and a star of that show and a star down the strip on this show. The star of Ka is the stage. Right. The engineering that goes into that, what that stage does is almost physically impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is an amazing, I mean, just a spectacle, just the yeah. true theatrical innovation. There's never been anything like that before. And wherever you sit in that show, you, your mouth is open. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, 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 I got my money's worth, I have to say. Uh, now, keeping that, I mean, O is great. I wasn't expecting to like O, yeah. but I did. And the Beatles one, I really wasn't. I thought it was going to be hokey. It was great. Yeah, really warm and emotional. That's the Very re- emotional. response I get from a lot yeah. of people that go Very to that Very emotional. Show. Mm-hmm. And b- before we take our break, they're starting a new show this month over at Luxor. That's right. Which is um, a real departure for Cirque du Soleil because it's not what you're thinking. The one that I love, of course, is Ka mm-hmm. because... In every other Cirque du Soleil show, you know, you've got the acrobatics, and it's always the, you know, the Siamese twins descending from the rope. I get it. <laughs> but to me, it's Ka, because the star of that show is the stage itself. The engineering of that stage, my mouth is open from the beginning to the end. And that's a theater they built for that stage. Mm-hmm. They built that show right around the entire stage. Right, exactly. And, that, and the action, that's such an action-filled show. It's kind of uh, the midway point and the evolution to their new show, Run at Luxor, which is going to be like uh, an action movie come to life on stage. Yeah, that's completely a departure from what they've normally done because it's not about acrobatics. It's about kick-ass stunts. Right. And right. they've got these motorcycles. How do you do motorcycles on a stage? Well, I found out. The fire department won't let them put gas on the cycles. Only electric cycles. But the old electric cycles went from zero to 60 in about a year. <laughs> they re-engineered these cycles to go faster than the gas cycles, and you'd never know the difference. That's right. That's right. They're just as loud and powerful as those real street bikes, but they're electric. And they're going to be doing the kind of stunts that you see at like a motocross show in a big arena, only on a smaller stage. So it's pretty exciting. But the one thing I always remember about Las Vegas is you could not bet on the local teams. Right. Now you can. Yeah, that's changed. The The stigma of gambling has obviously changed a lot in the last few years across the country, not just in Nevada, but all over the place. And uh, that is not such a problem anymore. So we, we've got the NHL, we've got the NFL coming in 2020. Uh, there's a lot of talk that the NBA is going to be following behind that in a few years. We'll have to see how it shakes out. But there's a lot of anticipation about what the NFL is going to look like in Las Vegas, where every sporting event that we do, like you said, is on steroids and it's yeah. going to be bigger than ever. And well, maybe the whole team's on steroids anyway. So what are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? Let's hope not. <laughs> hey, look, I remember the old Los Angeles Raiders uh, when they won the Super Bowl. I'm telling you, that entire team was a walking <laughs> pharmacy. John Matusak and all this. I mean, crazy. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say that they are now, but that's the way they were then. Right. And that's when right. John Madden was the coach, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that stadium opens in 2020. Yep. Fall 2020. That's going to be the, I mean, one of the biggest brands in sports, Raiders, one of the most identifiable and popular franchises in any sport coming to Las Vegas. But let's talk about not just sports and entertainment as well, the cost of the entertainment here. When it comes to the hockey team, that's the most expensive ticket in hockey. 
Yeah, I think I think it was number two last season. Yeah, yeah. And you know, prices are interesting. I mean, if you look, if you want to get, if you want to go see Celine Dion or Elton or Cher when they're here, that's not an inexpensive ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the shows get bigger and the and the prices get bigger too. But uh, you know, there's still there's still a lot of ground underneath that. There's mid level shows, there's smaller shows, there's more family friendly shows probably than there has been in recent years. But you know, you mentioned the five thousand seat arenas. I remember when I when I first came here forty. Eight years ago, I mean, they had the dinner theater with with, with a headliner. Did one dinner show at eight o'clock at night. You sat in those red banquet half moon booths, and it was prime rib and one mm-hmm. bottle of this, and get him in, get him out. The unions would never let you go more than an hour, and the show that was it. That's what you saw. Mm-hmm. Now you have five thousand seat rooms. Yeah, yeah. I think it's about the the scale of the experience and the full spectrum too. Though there's a supper club coming back to Bellagio later on this year, uh, taking over a former nightclub space that used to be called Hyde right on the fountains. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. So maybe the dinner show thing could come back again. Who knows? Well, listen, I remember the old lounge acts, the Shecky Greens, and, mm-hmm. and you know, right, the, 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 all the lounge comedians that were going on at 11 o'clock at night. That's not come back yet. Yeah. Comedy's kind of booming, too, right now, though. There's been a, a couple different comedy clubs, a smaller comedy clubs opening, including uh, Jimmy Kimmel's over there at the link, so... Yeah, it's, very, it's a very well-rounded scene. And then every once in a while, Seinfeld would come back and do two nights at Caesars, right? Yeah, he's still doing that for sure. Is yeah. he really? Mm-hmm. Caesars actually, uh, Coliseum just opened up again, uh, had some renovations. They, they made it so that the floor right in front of the stage can be raised and lowered. So you can have a standing room there for rock concerts, or you can have luxury seating for Jerry Seinfeld. Brock Radke from the Las Vegas Sun. Thanks again. Thank you. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Las Vegas continues to reinvent itself. And one of the things that also changes is the betting, uh, not just at the tables, uh, but in sports. It's one of the places where it's still legal to bet on sporting events, on just about anything you want to bet on. Um, it could be horses, it could be professional football, baseball, basketball, hockey, you name it. Uh, and the, the amount of the bets is changing, the people, the people who are betting are changing, and how they're betting are changing. And it's always fascinating to me. And joining me now, the director of Race and Sportsbook, right here at the win, Doug Castaneda, who's been here, by the way, since they opened the hotel back in 2005. How are you? Doing well, Peter. Thanks for having us. You heard my introduction. Uh, you know, the days of the big whales coming in, you still have that action. But you now have everybody and their mother coming in thinking they have, they, they've done their homework to bet on just about anything. Certainly. We get all, all walks of life that come into the sports book. They want to play either their favorite team or maybe a school or professional team from the region of the country that they're visiting from. All right, so they're betting emotionally. Most of the time. It's an emotional Which play. Which is why you guys are in business. <laughs> yeah. And in he, business hasn't been better, uh, you know, with the, the exposure on television now. Um, there's just a vast uh, array of networks that view just middle, you know, 
mid-major conferences and, and the college ranks, as well as maybe teams that aren't necessarily the Patriots or the Yankees as well. Let's in the talk baseball. to Division Three, baby. <laughs> I mean, Division Three. Okay, what no, do you? No, because what I'm we're going to get there soon. That's oh. what I was about to get to. I mean, on television, you mentioned the cable packages. I mean, you go to certain communities in America, you can buy a cable package for high school football and, and watch high school football games. It's only a matter of time before people are going to bet on that. Right. It's, it's filtering down. It's, it's, you know, it used to be just a major Division I football for the right. most part. And now you're starting to see um, schools that weren't even Division I a decade ago now reaching the betting boards here in Las Vegas. So we're starting to, to stretch out, and a lot of that has to do with the coverage, the regional coverage that you're able to get at home and on, on different cable packages the really helps line, us. What you're saying, Doug, is if you can watch it, you're going to bet on it. Yeah, and that determines a lot of the things we put on the board. You know, there, there may be some ancillary sports where if it's not being televised, such as soccer, maybe there's a club soccer match in, in South America or in Europe. And if we're not being able to televise it in our own sports book, we may opt to not put a number up on that. But because sure. it is being televised and there's so many networks out there, there's ESPN Plus, or you can get things on the Apple uh, network. So there's things you can reach out for if you really want to put some content into your room, and we strive to do that. And eventually what follows is odds on the game. So I'm doing a touch football game this fall. Will you put that in? No. <laughs> but, you know, if you take a look at the betting action in Europe, they will bet on who the next pope's going to be. They'll bet on whether, or the name of the baby with, you know, with, with Meghan Markle. You're not doing those bets. No, we haven't reached a, a demand for that just yet. I see it going there, especially politically. I think our state's gonna gonna veer towards that market. Can you, can you bet? We have a political campaign, an election coming up in November 2020. You can't bet on that in Las Vegas, right? But I, I believe once we evolve a little bit more down the road, you'll be able to to have those options when you walk into a sports book. Right now, as it is, there are things that are based on voting and not on a result on the field where you can wager on and and get get something like who's going to be the MVP in the NFL. So well, that's not determined. Yeah. Technically, it is determined by performance and statistical categories. But it's a vote, yeah. But it's a vote eventually. Now, for a long period of time here, and I go back to the days when you had, you know, the UNLV running Rebels and Jerry Tarkanian, it was illegal in Nevada to bet on a home team in Nevada. Right. We had two major Division One schools in the state. That's it. It's a pretty small number. But you couldn't bet on them. Correct. Now you can. Right. The Plus, you've got the hockey team now. You got the Golden Knights. They almost went to the. They almost got the Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. and you also have WNBA is here. You have the the Raiders coming next year, and that's all open season now. You can bet on those games. Right. We're really happy. In the late '90s, we turned around that law where we couldn't take wagers on our own schools in our own backyard, Reno and UNLV. We switched that around '98, and eventually that opened up basically our doors to to everyone, every agency, including the NCAA, showing everyone our hand that, hey, we can regulate these sports, including the, the schools within our state. So if we're going to put up numbers on the other major schools around the country, we can also do the same with our own two schools. And I think that's what kind of catapulted um, exposure to betting on other uh, levels of, of sports, not just professional uh, levels. So I, I'm really happy that that got turned around in the, in the late 90s. And I was in the industry at that time. And I can remember there was, there was turmoil over Las Vegas putting up collegiate athletics for wagering. So around the time they played in Nagano, the Winter Olympiad, that's sort of when we kind of said, hey, for the future, we need to turn this around. And, and we did so. And it's been be- very beneficial. The most popular betting sport 
got to be football. It's got to be NFL. Right? NFL, not just football. You know, there's all kinds of football. There's the SEC. You know, on some Saturday afternoons, the SEC and Auburn, rivals an Auburn Alabama game. It goes through the roof. It, it rivals, yeah, maybe a, a lower tiered NFL game in a bad time slot with with no national TV. It can get close to that. There's no doubt about it. The NFL is the king and always has been since I've been in this industry. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. My next guest is performing in a show that's been at this hotel since it opened which you can't say for a lot of shows. The name of the show is Larev, The Dream. Uh, his name is A.J. Montgomery. How are you, sir? I'm so good. I'm so good. Thank you for having me. But your story is an amazing story. Oh, thank um, you. Uh, and it's one of, um, I mean, it's shocking. It's also one of resilience, and it's one of hope. And, I mean, here you were. You came to audition for the show in 2015, I believe. Yep. Um, and then right after you got the job, so things are looking pretty good. Yeah. What happened? Well, I had actually auditioned for the show, and I made it all the way to the end, and I was basically just waiting for a phone call. Yeah. And four days after that audition is actually when I got struck by a car while I was riding on my motorcycle. Um, and so obviously my life had changed quite significantly, and it actually wasn't until later when I was talking to the casting director, um, Lou Ann Madorma-Williams, that um, they were actually going to offer me the, the job. So you had it. I had it. But when you say your life changed... Your physical nature changed. Absolutely. Because what happened? So when I got struck by a car, um, I actually was in the hospital for two and a half weeks. I had three surgeries to try to save my left foot, um, but then ultimately ended up in uh, amputation um, below the knee, uh, about midway up the shin. That changes the uh, the calculus, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the time, like I said, I think I was so concerned about getting my life back on track, um, but I never had lost sight of, of what I wanted to do and where I was in my life. I, I know I just had to audition for a show that I had set my mind on auditioning um, probably 10 years before that. You know, I've always said that, and you, by the way, you can use this line later on, <laughs> my, that my definition of a goal is a dream with a deadline, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. However, that changed too because it wasn't just a regular dream with a regular deadline. There was a complication. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I if mean, you can call it that, yeah. I mean, you literally... I mean, I'm not had to get back on your feet. Literally, yeah. I mean, like I said, I was on crutches for for three months. Um, actually, even before I could take my first step. Um, and uh, that was what was really, really crazy to me is that I literally had to learn to walk again um, before I could do anything else. And this show requires. I mean, this show is choreography. This show, yeah. show is acrobatics. Yep. It's dance. It's, yep. Right. Yeah. It's aerial work. It's swim work. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, the the, the environment that we get to play in every day um, is absolutely uncanny. Um, there's nothing like it in the world. And so. I just knew I had quite a set of skills that I had to redevelop even to get to a platform on which I could audition for the show again. Now, they were aware of your situation. Yeah. I'm sure they were, as supportive as they were, I'm sure they weren't actually thinking this was going to work out. Right. Well, and I always like to think optimistically, and I know that they were always rooting for me since day one, um, but they had actually reached out to me, and um, the casting director, Luann, had said, if there's any additional inspiration that you need about just getting up and walking and getting back to life, um, don't be afraid to come see the show. And then literally uh, a 
few months after that, I was actually in Vegas for a friend's birthday and was coming to see the show. And so she wanted to give me a backstage tour. Um, and then at the end of our tour, she said, hey, I'd like to introduce you to the cast. The cast wants to meet you. By the way, I told them about your story and they're really excited. And then it, it was in that moment in front of the entire cast that she looked around and she said, we've talked with everybody involved and we, we, uh, we feel that um, whenever you're ready and you can do exactly what you did in your audition, you'll have a job here. And did you cry? Yeah. Well, it took me about 10 seconds to realize what she said. <laughs> and then I started crying, and she started crying. And then, you know, I had people from the cast coming up and saying, welcome um, to the cast. We can't wait to work with you. Um, and at that time, I still hadn't actually taken my first step yet. So this is a bold deal here. Yeah. So I knew that. Um, so how that much was, rehab are we talking about? So it was all on me. I mean, I kind of sat in a county hospital, and they looked at me, and they were like, well, I think, honestly, our job is to get you back to your daily life and what you've done in your We can past. get you to walk again, yeah. and that's all we're going to guarantee. Absolutely. And so they said, whatever program we have for you, um, probably you'll surpass in the first day. So, I mean, we don't know what we can do for you. And so for me, it was all on me, and I, I needed to – um, rehab all of that all by myself. and so Plus, this is, by all definition, a rigorous show on your body to begin with. Absolutely. It's one of the toughest shows in the world to perform. I mean, honestly, I wholeheartedly believe that. What um, makes it so tough? Well, we are all male generalists, and so the beauty what of... What does a generalist mean? So what we do is uh, we actually all I've often, learn... I, actually, I've been accused of being a generalist, but that's for other reasons. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Well, don't yeah. worry. We right. Ours is... is, is um, a, a very defined term. So we actually all get trained on pretty much everything in the show. Um, there's a couple of specialties in which, you know, you have to have that specialty to learn into. But the beautiful thing is, is that whenever we get to work, um, an hour before first show is when we get our lineup for the day and we don't know where we're going, who we're partnering with, what we're doing, what acts we're doing, where we're doing them. Um, and so your show constantly changes from day to day. And it's our job to make sure that we know everything. So whenever right, it is, so we do walk it. me through what you require. Get me, like, give me the list. Oh. What you could be doing on any given night. On any given day, you could be lifting people, throwing people, swimming, dancing, oh, jumping, aerial work. No, of kidding. course. No, no, well, no. I mean, who doesn't, right? right. Um, no, and, and it, it's all very specific. And, and there's, there's a specific act that we do called Red Man, which is so incredibly cardio-based. And it's pretty much cardio and acrobatics for four minutes straight. And that was one thing for me that was incredibly challenging to learn because it's so fast-paced and it's so acrobatic that it challenges even most able-bodied people and yet I had to learn it with a disability and you did and I did and I did which is great and and that was the thing I mean I when I say but, but first of all it's not just like learning how to walk again it's learning how to walk in with a prosthetic device absolutely and, and not only that, but for me, it was so incredibly imperative that I do it so that if I wear a pair of pants of any kind, you'd never even know that I had a disability. That's how good I wanted to be at it. And, and honestly— Did they make that for that then? Well, did they make those kind of devices that would allow you to do that, or did you really have to customize it? Well, I have a very, very custom setup, and when I sat down with my prosthetist, I was like, this is what I need to do, and they had to kind of reinvent a lot of certain wheels, but prosthetics have come a long, long way in the past five, even ten years. It's come astronomically far. Okay. Stupid question, maybe. No. Is there something you can do now because of that prosthetic device that you would not have been able to do as an able-bodied, full-bodied gentleman? Uh, I get half off a pedicure. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Honestly. <laughs> you know what? If I had said that, I'd be arrested for being incorrect. But I, I really appreciate that Of course. You said absolutely. That. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, honestly, if I had the choice, I would obviously take my own foot back. And there are a lot of different times where I get to stand up on stage and I get to perform with some of the best athletes in the world. And I 
give myself honestly a pat on the back because I can keep up with these guys. But every once in a while, I'm just like, ah, oh, gosh, you know, I really, really would love to have my foot back. But in, in, in all retrospect, it's not coming back. And I'm totally okay with that. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. <laughs> We've gone from uh, the prime rib and lobster specials and the endless buffets to an explosion in the food scene to the point where, if you actually look at the real numbers, the revenue in Las Vegas has gone from predominantly gambling now to the food and wine and entertainment experience and driven by celebrity chefs um, in a world where I think everybody is a celebrity chef. Uh, my next guest is a celebrity in his own right because he's been here since day one. Day one. Day one of the opening of, of The Win here in Las Vegas 15 years ago. That's right. And his name is David Walzer. He's the executive chef of two restaurants, SW Steakhouse and Lakeside. Right. Here's my question. You heard my introduction. In the world of celebrity chefs, you can't be a celebrity chef and be in 16 venues at the same time. Correct. I mean, you, you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I think the Michelin star guys finally got it right where they couldn't award, you know, the same chef more than two Michelin star, four stars, or because he physically cannot be in two locations at the same time. Cannot. You've been in one location at the same time. <laughs> one location and now two for uh, the last couple of years. Um, for about eight or nine years now, we've opened uh, Lakeside here as well. So, um, you know, we're here every single day. We're at the stoves. We're, we're mentoring our staffs, which is, you know, probably the biggest thing, right? With our chefs, our sous chefs, um, and, our, and our line level staff, you know, they need that guidance. They need that, you know, reassurance about they're doing the right thing always and, you know, just sort of an uplift of, uh, of their morale and their talents. And they're a very, very talented bunch. It's one thing I can definitely say about Las Vegas is... Um, you're, you're attracting that talent. The staff is here. And when you're here and they know it, that you're not fly-by-night or you're not, you know, here and gone tomorrow, um, that you're really shepherding their careers as well as the restaurant's success, um, they find it very intriguing and the place to be. So that well, makes it really great in this, in this property. And there's something else that's going on. Let's go back 20 years ago. <clears throat> Sourcing. I mean, you know, you couldn't get what you could get today in terms of every kind of food imaginable you now have. Right. And we are sourcing from everywhere. And you know what? The bigger picture to that is is storytelling, right? Our guests have come to really want and need to know provenance, um, the efforts we take to bring ingredients from all over the world uh, to here in the desert in Las Vegas. And um, But there's, there's usually such an assumption, you know, you ask kids where food comes from, they tell you the store. I got a problem with that. Yeah. Right. So you are doing the storytelling. Well, You're telling everybody where it comes from. Sure. Shrimp don't have heads and things like that. I mean, it's all that sort of like unrecognizable oh. stuff to okay, people wait. without the, a food world. What's the stupidest question you're asked about the food? Oh, God. Come on. I don't know. Let, let's get back to that. No. I Let me warm up to that question. Yeah, I need to warm up you to that one. You don't want to get to it. We'll get to it. Okay. And I got an answer for you, but it, I need to like kind of get there. So sourcing from all over, right? So at SW, we go great lengths. Um, to really bring excellent, excellent, top quality, um, prime, 
aged beef um, to our menus, and that's just the beginning. From where? From Nebraska, from corn-fed, belt, middle American belt of the United States, and that is the benchmark of really great beef. It really, really is. But we take that a couple steps further. We're bringing in now um, snake uh, strip loins from Snake River Farms over the last five years or so. We're dry Where's, where's them Snake River Farms? In Idaho. Okay. Um, so that's just another, Now, you, you know, know I remember the Snake River? Evil Knievel. Right, no doubt. Yeah. Right? That's back in the day. Back um, in the day. But no, the beef is is really fantastic, and that was the the first sort of um, crossbreed between wa- Japanese wagyu bulls that they brought in the early '70s with Angus cattle from the United States, um, and sort of crossbred that to even a, let's call it a super prime, if you will. And so we have that. Now we have um, Japanese beef and a great deep bench of Japanese beef. We were one of like the first two or three in the United States that had the Kobe certification and being able to be that like end user. Kobe beef is like, you know, Kleenex and ketchup and all those sort of things where it became just a generic um, word for, you know, Japanese beef or quality. People applied it to hot dogs and this and that and God knows whatever else. But we were bringing in straight from Japan, certified that it went through all the criteria and um, sort of measuring of quality standards to be that that quality of beef. What about the carrot fed beef? We got it. Um, And that's a Another story. So you just keep like layering on top of me, and I thank you for that. Um, Carrotfed beef from Bakersfield, um, a wonderful ranch. As you do in Bakersfield. Family. Um, There's, you know, carrot ranches all around or farms all around. There's a beef cattle ranch uh, run by uh, Mike, Corinne, and Justin Pettit that is just fantastic. So that's all Angus Hereford um, that finishes and eats carrots their entire life. Um, So the sweetness that partakes, the B12, all those sort of things is really special. Now, before we run out of time, here comes. Stupidest question you've ever been asked about the food. We're back to that already. We got to do it. Um, Geez, I don't know. I mean, you know, such a tough one. It really is. It's uh, it's stupid questions. Um, You know, I mean, we can always sort of layer on that. There is no such thing. You know, these days it becomes so challenging with just different aspects of, you know, dietary constraints. And you're running a restaurant that is, you know, super hyper busy. And, you know, people are just lobbing in, you know, dietary preferences and and all those sort of things, which we take, you know, absolutely serious to the nth degree. But it's tough. David Wallace, I'm the executive chef of SW Steakhouse and Lakeside. We'll come back to the stupid questions later because the music means we're out of time. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself 
that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.